faith traditions have told us like to be human is to suffer immensely mm. and be happy, but to suffer immensely mm. and be joyful. And just this deep recognition of these both are human life. In an excessively romantic culture, you can't talk. Mm. Like, as soon as you show that side of life... My name is Kindred, like Kindred Spirit. And my name is Joe, like Joe from Little Woman. And you are listening to More Than Five. And this is a special joint podcast about friendship. Hey friends, it's Joe. I am so ready to show you this episode. It took quite some time to edit and record. I hope you like it, truly. These are my two brothers and sister, so you won't hear Kindred in this episode. Sad face. But you'll hear more about friendships and family and how siblings deal with friendships during COVID-19. Please note that each of my siblings are in different life stages and places in their journey. So these are thoughts that they are all thinking, but will continue to think through. So these are not their end-all, lifelong philosophies, just thoughtful responses in this specific time to my questions. Unfortunately, because of time, I had to limit their responses, so they tried their best to summarize things, but couldn't go too, too into detail. I'll give a brief bio of each sibling before their segments, but even that is not enough to explain who they are. Hopefully, I'll give you enough context to understand where they're coming from. Without further ado, here it is, as is. This first segment features my younger sister, Rachel Renee Kim. Currently, she is 21 years old and studying sociology at UC Berkeley. If you listen to the Korean Americanist in My Family podcast, you'll remember that she is honest and has a very straightforward speaking style. Some of my favorite things to do with her are surfing, early mornings, cooking, and just lying on the floor and chatting. Here she is. What have your friendships looked like during COVID-19? If it's helpful, you can describe a little bit what it's like before, but you don't have to. It's interesting because I would say non-existent because as soon as I left college, um, Riverside, that's when my the amount of time I spent with people mm-hmm. and developing friendships and maintaining friendships just cut back. Mm. So it wasn't even COVID. It hasn't really changed anything, mm. actually. Um, it was literally drawing out from a common space where like a ton of people just happened to be, for the same exact reason, college. And I'm now out of that environment, mm. and I'm literally just at my desk at work or at home, There's no, like, opportunity, I guess, Mm -hmm. to continue friendships. And there's also no need. Because, like, before, I would talk to people and hang out with them because I was bored, right? Mm -hmm. Or I wanted to de-stress. But now that I sort of, like, have a clearer picture of what I want to do with my life, Mm -hmm. it's like friendships are seen more, yeah, are seen more as a distraction. And I also understand, and it's really not helpful to me to talk to people my age because they're also just, like, super anxious and have no idea what they're doing. Mm. COVID, honestly, has not been responsible for the lack of friendships in my life. Mm. It's just, it's weird. I remember talking to some people, like, like a year ago where I said, I'm not lonely and I'm not looking for friends, but I want to find people who are, like, 
who will be there to support me. I like I feel like friends, mm-hmm. or maybe I'm using the language wrong, but friends typically people use that as company. Mm-hmm. But for me, if I think of friends, I would say um, as support. Mm, that's like why partners almost? Yeah, that's why before when I was telling you, like, you know, I don't really have friends. I just have family. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because my family does what friends are supposed to do. So it's just like my life circumstance. I don't have many friends right now. Hmm. But it sounds like you also just enjoy it. The isolation. (laughs) Somewhat. The social isolation. Because you have new plans and you're excited about them and you want to see them come to fruition. It just sounds like a season of me time to ground yourself. Yeah, honestly, I thought I would be a little bit more like, even like have like a picture perfect, but... (sighs) Still work in progress. Yes, like us all. This is perfect because the theme of this episode is about friendships and family. Let me know if what you think about this. Mm-hmm. There's a part of me that's like, yeah, if friendships are lacking in family, I have a desire to go out and search for that. Whatever I don't find in the family in another mm-hmm. person outside. And it kind of supplements it. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you get everything from the home, it's a little bit less incentive to go out because you have to... You do have to take responsibility for them, and it's not an exact give-and-take relationship. You know, as you were talking about that, the first thing I thought was why I am not leaving the family unit Mm -hmm. is because I feel loved, Mm. understood, and supported. Yay! Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess that's why, like, subconsciously, I, I don't feel like I need to search for that kind of validation in other people because my family just does it for me Mm. that makes Mm -hmm. sense is there a certain memory or i guess in general just a time period where you're like oh i can call josephine (gasps) my friend now (laughs) we spend less time together when we were in college Mm. but there were very few moments, but they were very important. So the first one I can think of was when we were at that coffee shop. Or I was at Lost Bean uh-huh. in Irvine. And then you were, I think, at Wellesley or Dartmouth. Uh-huh. And then we had that phone call. You remember? Which phone call? Um, 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 it was what the was one where about? you like had your personal revelation kind of thing when you came out of your funk. Oh, yeah, that and one. I was like in Yeah, December. that's like the biggest like. I was at Wellesley. <sighs> yeah. That was like the most... That's the first one that comes to my head when we, like, really had, like, heart to heart. Because I think for me, as, like, the younger sister of you, Mm -hmm. you've always seemed to have it together. And I know we talked about you feeling this pressure to, like, always seem that way. Um, But that was the first time where I saw you, like, when you were, like, sort of, like, cracked. Mm -hmm. And then you, like... I was cracked, (laughs) y'all! And you were, like, open... To like voicing it mm. that like really made a difference it's weird because it wasn't like admitting like oh i need your help it wasn't any of that kind of stuff but it was just like hey i want to let you know this is how i'm feeling right now and yeah so mm. it was weird it's not like role reversal or older sister younger sister it was more just i think as we just got older that age factor became irrelevant mm. and mm-hmm. we just were searching for people who could understand us without having to nuance all of our statements and stories mm. yeah oh the ones i remember are the collection of times you just come into my room and you just sat on the floor or you sat on the couch when the couch was still there and you would just 
be like, I have a question. Or you'd be like, what do you think about this? And then I'd be like, oh, these are my favorite conversations. Wait, was this in this house? In or? this house. Oh. Uh, it would turn into like a long conversation, both if our eyes are like really heavy because we're- It's up, 11? We want to go to sleep. Yeah. But I always like those conversations because you casually come into my room. I ask a lot of questions, actually. Those are my favorite people, by the way. I don't like to spread myself out that far. I like to heavily invest myself into people. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I understand just like an actual relationship, when you're young, you don't know what you want. Mm -hmm. So it's like sort of tricky in that sense to... Because you know you have your expectations for them, but you also know that they won't meet it because... They're still trying to figure out who they are, mm. so you can't hold it against them. So that's why all of my past failed relationships where I think that people did me dirty, it's like mm. before I was like so like mad and I was like cynical. I was like, people are just out to get you and abuse your kindness. But then mm -hmm. I was like, no, it's because we're all young, either mentally or physically young, mm -hmm. and we're just trying to figure out our space in mm. this world. And then your friends are the poor collateral damage. Yeah. That's Aww. okay. I know I did plenty of damage to people, too. Yeah. Dang. But really briefly, how has Berkeley been for you? Like, oh, making new friends man. via Zoom, and it's like a different circle of people, different personality type, like you were telling me. It hasn't? It's been okay. I mean, there were two instances where um, I happened to jump onto, like, the same um, club, like, info sesh, mm -hmm. and there were two girls which I thought seemed interesting, so I actually private messaged them in the box actually makes it easier to reach out to people individually because oh, yeah. you can like private message them mm -hmm. and I was like hey like you seem like a very interesting person I would love to get to know you mm -hmm. um and then yeah we exchanged numbers social media and then now we like hey. casually talk yeah so those are just like two instances but everything else is like it's sort of hard because I remember I was talking with someone who I had an interview with earlier and he was like you know it's interesting because professionally it's not that hard to meet up with people it's almost like it's less nerve-wracking. Mm, but then to actually, like, socialize with people your age, it's a little bit harder. Because mm. I think people are just naturally banking on, you know, when things open up again, that's when I'm going to start trying again. I think that's a lot of people's mentality. What do you think about that? Are you kind of like, I don't want to wait for that? Or are you kind of like, oh, I'll do more professional network expanding now and then more personal social stuff later? Well, I think right now what I what I chose to do was to focus professionally. Um, but do I agree and think it's the best decision? No. <laughs> it just really depends on your like situation. Mm. If your life is like set where it's like it's obvious that you should focus on your professional field first mm -hmm. before socializing, then I think you should do it. But it's like tricky to thumb that because you're the only one who knows that. I spent two years where I was like best time of my life because those two years went by so fast. Mm. But looking back, they were like meaningless. Mm. It was just empty company, felt happy for a little bit. But it was just because I was closing myself. I was living in a little bubble. Mm. Yeah, so seeing that, I'm like sort of afraid that that's what I'm gonna do it when I do go back to campus so I'm just that's why I'm like diving I like diving to both extremes 
so I can like find the middle ground. I'm not good at like mm, jumping I into see. the mid spectrum and like tiptoeing. I like to go all in or all out, which sometimes is a very bad decision, but you know, I always tend to make the right recovery. <laughs> mm. In the moment, it was meaningful because that's all that mattered to me. Um, just being happy. But looking back from today is meaningless because all it did was... I would say all it did was sort of help me like stay in my like safe space and just say like, you know what? It's fine. Like life, you don't have to fight hard for it. Like you, as long as you just wake up, do your everyday routine task, you'll be fine. You'll be cruising. Mm -hmm. But I think because of our family's philosophy mm -hmm. of if you want something more, you have to approach life differently. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I now classify that as meaningless. Because definitely, I got stories from it. It shaped me. But would I do it again? No. So that's why I say it's meaningless. Mm, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I tend to use a lot of terminology in Rachel's world, so it might be a little confusing. It makes sense to me. But I want to make sure it makes sense to everyone else. And I think as I'm getting older, I understand what does mm. being there for me even mean. Yes. Because unfortunately, everyone, like, what's advertised is, like, oh, they're, on, they're able to pick up your phone, like, 24-7. And, like, if you're having a bad day, they can, like, drive over and, like, dr jump out of, like, their important job interview and go drink soju with you. Like, that's not real life. So... K-drama-esque. Yeah. So, I think... People who under, will only understand if they've experienced it. People who are mm. there for you, not because they have to or because they're afraid of losing something, but they choose to almost invest into you. Mm. It's like they're not expecting anything in return, but they see so much in you. Ooh, that sounds like love. That makes sense. Yeah, you don't expect anything in return. That's... But at the same time, you know, social skills, you're supposed to, you know, yeah. return things. Of course. <laughs> I think it's part of our human nature that we we'll always realize, I can't pile up all this debt because mm -hmm. it feels wrong or just feels imbalanced. Do you have a fun friendship tip you'd like to share? Fun friendship? Distance. Distance yourself in the beginning. 100%. Even though you want to be so close with them and find that ride or die. You know how like every, every uh, person has that fascination of finding the one? Uh -huh. I think we have that towards with like... and romantic. Yeah. And I'm just like, start with strong boundaries. And if they stay around and they're willing to like sort of try to understand you naturally and those boundaries, those boundaries, those walls should be taken away brick by brick. I don't think you should be an open gate of like, this is who I am. Ooh, I actually really like this because it's a little bit more realistic. Practical. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to get hurt. <laughs> hurt people always hurt other people. Yeah. So no open gate. It's good to set up walls and then take them away. You want to play hard to get even in friendships. Because it shows their value. Yeah. It shows that you've identified their value versus like, oh, this person's always available for me, so yeah, I'm just gonna like take them for granted. Mm -hmm. Finding those friendships is sort of like a privilege that like Amen. the world gives to you. So don't like expect it to fall into your lap. Like you know, so many, so many people are like, you know, I'm gonna have like a, a house, the perfect job, a great family, but we know in reality it's so difficult. It's a privilege, yeah. 
That's good. And if sometimes it falls into your lap, but um, yeah, if you're intending to build a friendship little by little, opening up little by little, yeah. Thank you, Rachel, so much for joining this episode. It was a pleasure. It was so hard to get you on this, <laughs> but I'm so glad it happened. It was fun. Bye. Bye. This next segment features my eldest brother, so it's a little bit out of order. His name is Eugene, or David Kim, depending on when you met him. <laughs> he is currently 27 years old, recently turned, and is that brother who I got to spend my amazing Taiwan adventure with. He was the one who was down also with me training Muay Thai. We got to take some trips to Thailand and Singapore, Ah, oh, it's so awesome to be able to train with him. His photography and taste in music is also pretty top. So I'm excited he's getting back into sharing those. What has friendship looked like for you in COVID? Interestingly, I think even pre-COVID, it was coincidental timing, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think I was kind of looking to start a new chapter for my friendships. And this was before all this COVID thing hit. But I think COVID also gave me an opportunity to really kind of find out why I wanted to go into a new chapter Mm. as far as friendships goes uh, outside the family. I'll go from that angle first. Um, Sounds good. It's interesting because I made all these plans. I really thought about it. And I have a, you know, pretty analytical way of tackling things and sometimes it gets the best (laughs) of me and it's not helpful sometimes for taking actions but I kind of wrote down what the plan is to a find the kind of people that I want to make friends with Mm -hmm. and then b maybe those friends will become you know deeper friends or best friends or closer friends whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. so you know This could be things like joining Facebook groups, you know, Instagram pages and groups, uh, meetup.com. You could even use apps and dating apps, join the local church. I should say rejoin it for my case. Um, I've been getting more into church and religion in general and Christianity as of late. Kind of like all the places you would expect to go if like, hey, if I just move to a brand new city. In the modern era, like, Mm -hmm. what can I do to make friends Mm -hmm. and then make deeper friends? So I went through that whole laundry list. And then COVID happened, coincidentally, right at that time. And it was interesting because it just decimated, like, 90% of my list. Because you can't go on meetup events, Mm -hmm. right? You can't um, go to Facebook group events. You can't just... You you just can't go to events in general. Mm -hmm. So... I had to kind of work with the situation. So I was like, okay, well, how about this? Let me kind of hit up and kind of start to kindle the relationships that I do know Mm. in my network, as few as they may be. So what I've been doing kind of is the past like two months or so, you know, maybe there's like a handful of people or two handfuls of people that I would kind of schedule out like on a CRM like on an Excel sheet, literally. <laughs> and I would basically schedule it. So like, okay, so first week, I'll hang out with this person. Then second week, this person. Third week, this person. Fourth week, alone time, me time. Mm-hmm. And then next month, restart it. So 
you know, we have things to talk about mm. because we met, you know, three or four weeks ago. So yeah, that's that's kind of what COVID has, you know, forced me to do. And of course, when I meet these people, it's never in groups. It's a uh, one-on-ones. They're much more closer friends mm-hmm. of mine that I kind of trust. And obviously, there's a big trust here. <laughs> we meet outside, all that jazz. Mm. Actually, some of them, or I should say at least one of them, we just do Zoom calls because they're in another country. Mm. There's this David Foster Wallace quote. I love that guy. Let's hear that it. he said, and verbatim, it's like, modern people are lonely because they do not want to bear the psychic costs of friendship. Ooh. So that's worth repeating one more time. Modern people are lonely because they do not want to bear the psychic costs of friendship. Mm-hmm. So what it means is like, a lot of times I think we tend to never place the blame on ourselves Mm -hmm. and we always say like oh i haven't found the right crew yet or like oh nobody Mm -hmm. understands me or like oh if only i was in another city or like oh if only i was like another race or Mm -hmm. i was a guy or etc the list goes on Mm -hmm. but really his theory especially in the modern eras particularly so like late 20th century into 21st century now is for whatever reason that's the underlying cause for not having friends and being alone we just don't put in the effort Mm. and more specifically we are too selfish Mm. we do not want to hear our friend out when they're crying Mm -hmm. when it's like 10 p.m at night and Mm. you really don't want to (laughs) and you have work the next day or whatever but you don't want to do that kind of favor for them now of course just be a logical person and you know you got to put that into context but that's kind of his rough summary and it's unfortunate to say but I don't think he's entirely incorrect. I think that's a pretty good assessment. And I know that from personal experience. For whatever reason, I just did my thing. I always thought it was just too much effort mm-hmm. to cultivate friendships. And mm-hmm. I had a skewed perception of how friendships should be like. It's almost mm-hmm. like I should put in minimal effort and I expect maximal gain. Mm-hmm. Which that is not how friendships work. Yeah. It, it really is... You got to put sometimes the beginning phases a lot more effort in with Mm -hmm. little to no fruit to show. And then from there, maybe you'll have one out of 10 friends that end up actually being something close to you. Mm. But if you hadn't put in that effort, it's like a mentality. If you keep saying, and it's in dating too, if Mm -hmm. you keep saying, as soon as I meet the right person, then I'll give all my effort, like you're, it's already Mm. uh, done for you. you. You will never find your friend. You will never find your partner because... It requires you as a mentality and lifestyle to kind of treat everyone like that. The neurons in your brain have to be wired so that the actual experience is something that gives you dopamine. The possibility of like, oh, maybe this person has a cool story to tell me or a cool Mm. hobby that will resonate with them. Or at worst, and I say at worst carefully, they'll know somebody that might be worth knowing about or they know a group that I might be interested in Mm -hmm. the future. But a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us, and I think disproportionately men too, Mm. if I may go there, but I think that it's a fact. Mm -hmm. We just forgot how to and deliberately choose not to plant the seeds and cultivate friendship. Mm. 
What changed for you? It sounds like you want to be an active yeah. friendship maker. Yeah. Even though you see that there are a lot of responsibilities. Yes. So actually describing a lot of people. Yeah. And the activation energy to be like, no, it's worth it. Friendships are worth it. Where did you get that from? Or where did you find that? So COVID kind of coincidentally was in a similar timing when I mm. had that realization. And COVID just helped to think about it a lot more, mm. even with the given restrictions. So that's COVID's relationship to that. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just, I had this bad habit where I would, <laughs> I think a lot of people can maybe relate to this, unfortunately. I would... um kind of put all my emotional chips into like a romantic relationship. Mm. So I would have the most extreme highs and we would do everything together. It's almost like having a best friend, Mm -hmm. like when you're kids, but obviously in a romantic sense. But then when you break it off, you are left with nothing. Mm. And then it sucks. Yeah. So you just end up finding the next romantic partner. Basically is this cycle where you never took the time to diversify Mm, your network Mm. and you know basically it's your fault so i actually made a deliberate decision a few months ago after i was dating someone and we kind of ended things um i would say pretty well i was like i'm not gonna actually date or go on any dating apps until me personally i've kind of reached my goal of solidifying my outer ring circle and the Mm -hmm. groups that I'm affiliated with and the people that I can message regularly, Mm -hmm. only then will I even think about jumping into the romantic realm. So Mm, to, to answer that question that you said, what made you kind of change? I think just years of doing this again and again and again and again and again breaking up realizing i had nobody because it was my fault i didn't you know keep people around and then mm-hmm. i seek to escape that by getting into another intimate relationship etc 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 and the second reason is the personality thing it's like a chicken or the egg thing but i think i just rationalized that nobody gets me and mm. i was just fixated on this perception and i think it's true that before too, that it's yeah. true i don't think a lot of people understand me at some point, after so many years, you need to ask yourself, is it my fault or is it their fault, mm. you know? Because, I mean, come on, there are so many people on this earth, let alone your city. <laughs> like, if you, after five years, still are bitter that I don't have friends because everybody's stupid, they care about non-important things in life, mm. and they don't have vision, which all may be true, mm-hmm. but I do think there's a healthy balance you can strike where, yes, Understand that maybe you're cut from a different cloth, but hey, that's what outer ring friendships are for. It's mm-hmm. so that as a human, you have people you could say hi to, a neighbor's dog you could pet, a church friend that you could, you know, swap stories. That's what being a human is. And I think somewhere along the line, I got this weird idea that if this friendship with this person isn't deeply satisfying in all aspects of everything I need that it's not worth my time Mm. and I just keep passing 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 and I go like oh I have other priorities I need to work 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 or whatever it is Mm -hmm. just at a point in my life where I just want to take ultimate responsibility for Mm. that so it's like come on I'm 27 let's not keep blaming society let's not keep blaming other people don't blame your own intelligence it's like dude 
if you're unsatisfied with your friendships, like do something about it. Mm. Do something about it. And then maybe you got to readjust. Maybe you have to be humble enough to admit that maybe you don't know how humans work socially mm. completely yet. Or maybe you have to be willing to compromise mm. because if you're too arrogant or you're too neurotic, cool, you're the smartest person ever. <laughs> maybe you'll make lots of money in the future, but you'll be so lonely and you'll never be satisfied mm, with any relationship. And you'll be a huge burden for, let's say, your wife because now your wife's going to have to carry all of these social demands mm. that you want, but you never got fulfilled through normal, healthy relationships mm. with other people, you know? That was great. You gave a very good breakdown. Yeah, that was kind of a long rant. A sociological (laughs) perspective and your personal thoughts. Okay, the last question is, friendships and family, what do they mean to you? Okay, I'll try to make this one more simple. I think the costs of family friendships are much higher, Mm. but the returns are also much higher. And I think it's one of those Dang. natural universal laws where like, if you want a higher return and higher benefits, you also must pay higher costs. Ooh. You can't cheat the system. You <laughs> cannot cheat it. It's like, oh, you want less grief with your family friendships? Then you have to accept that you have less intimacy with your family mm. friendships. You'll have less connections with your family <sighs> friendships. You have less right to ask them to hear you out and support you in your darkest times Mm. if you do not pay the cost for them. Mm. And so I think family friendships might be one of the most worst, (laughs) inconvenient, painful, treacherous, BS costs. Mm -hmm. But when I think back to it, all the worst times I had in my life, it was one of, it had to be always had to be one of my family friendships that was the only one I could turn to. Mm. And I could turn to it because, you know, it's like a give and take. Mm-hmm. Some of us, you know, give more than others at different times of life. But mm. I think that's why family friendships are worth fighting for. If each person proportionally paid enough costs and the relationship are healthy enough, it is so worth keeping around because it's not a golden rule but at the end of the day they are the highest chance you have of if everything went downhill they would be the last people standing there for you Mm. because i think there's something about familiar relationships both by blood and also by social raising and expectations that they will be there for you obviously there are horrendous family stories and especially immigrant ones where Mm -hmm. they backstab each other but I'm saying generally speaking, mm-hmm. if you are privileged enough or you're courageous enough to pay the costs, mm-hmm. um, sometimes higher than what is average expected, it's worth paying it for the returns that you get mm. from family friendships. And they're in it for a really long time with you, theoretically till the day you mm. die. So like they're the people that, the friends that you will have known for the longest amount of time. Mm. Yeah. All right, I'm going to end it here only because... Thank you so much. Time! Yes! But that was such rich material, such rich thoughts. Thank you, Eugene! It was fun. Thank you.
All right, this final segment features my second oldest brother, Tim Kim. He recently turned 25. Actually, the weekend we recorded this. Y'all, the morning after his birthday party, he agreed to wake up and record this with me in my parents' closet, sitting crisscrossed. He is amazing. Thank you, Tim. Also, I like Tim because he is just a thoughtful person. He cares about ideas. He cares about people. He cares about books. And is always down to share all those things. Thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm very excited. Yay! (laughs) So the first question is the same one I asked my other siblings, which is, what have your friendships been like during COVID-19? I've been really busy with work, but definitely it's interesting because it wasn't COVID, you know, impacted my friendships negatively. If anything, I feel like more people actually have more time now. Mm. And it happened to coincide with, you know, I've done a two and a half year massive manic work mode drive and I was just dying and I realized like man I really need to take care of this part of my life so then I started saying like hey I'm going to reach out to someone once in the middle of the week and then also on the weekends and right now is a great time to reconnect with people everybody has yes time. I believe in that too <laughs> <laughs> so it's been good I like meeting in person I hate video calls I hate zoom calls all that stuff so if you can meet at like a park one-on-one that's really fun do you feel like you're a natural at this? Mm, a natural at this thing? Mm, okay, basically you're saying that there's some people that you look at them uh-huh. and they're just, they have this thriving social life. Mm-hmm. And others if you ask them, to... they have to really think about it. Yeah. Mm. And there's others who really want that, but the activation energy is a little bit greater. Yeah. I think we're all naturals. It's just, Woo, if it doesn't feel it. natural to you, it's because there's something not working. Mm. Whether it's you, it could be your society. It could be just that season of life. But I think everyone, in different degrees, it should be there. That's if a it's... friendship tip, y'all. <laughs> you are a natural already. Ooh, I love that. I No, you know, it, t- it just takes a lot of... You got to do it well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why when we hang around and watch, you know, the people that we admire the most and how they interact with friends, sometimes you go, wow, they're so funny. Wow, mm-hmm. they're such a good listener. So, but to your point, am I a natural at it? Oh, I think I've gotten better, hopefully. You should ask my friends. <laughs> Maybe they just give me grace all the time. Yeah. That's funny. Alright, and the second question is the theme of this episode, which is friendships and family. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. what do they mean to you? Mm-hmm. Friendships and family. Okay, this is a, it's a good question because I think when someone asks... We're all interested in this thing called friendship. Apparently, it's it's a huge aspect of life. And apparently, all of us still feel like we haven't figured it out. Mm. You know, how to live. What role do friends play? Usually, in the last few weeks, I've been entering this conversation through community. And then instead of asking what community is, I think we have to go back down to a level called friendship. Mm. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like what you and Kindred are doing. Then to just look at friends, sometimes it's good to look at family. So totally get what you guys are doing. Family, I think, I remember probably a few months ago or last year, I wrote something on my, my journal and blog where I just said, man, I get this daily reunion. Mm. Like, I guess I was just really paying attention to my emotions. And it was a really tough time. And, you know, half the time I'm depressed or anxious. And always it felt meaningful, but it was just hard. 
And I remember thinking, one of the constants in my life is when I show up for dinner. Mm. And my mom and my dad are like, hey, you know? Or when I talk to my siblings. I saw you six hours ago. <laughs> or eight hours ago. Yeah. But still in the morning when I see you, I go, hey. Yeah. That's Yay. something I feel deep. I can feel it. And so it's, yeah, family is one of the primary domains of friendship. Mm. So that's my answer to that. Nice. In our first episode, Kendra and I talked about how we learn how to be a good friend in our family. Or we mm. learn how to be a not good friend in our family. Like mm. how to listen, how mm. to argue, how to solve your friendship problems in ballet class or mm. in school. Mm. And so the parents modeling that for their kids. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. It's different. Eugene mentioned this, but it's different in the immigrant family context. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot more factors at play, and it's so hard to be a good friend when the world is falling apart. <laughs> and <laughs> and everyone knows, like, oh, man, yes, this person in my family could have done a better job, but they're also dealing with this mm. and still being a good friend for them, mm. even though you don't see it immediately in front of your eyes. Like, it's not actually modeling friendship before your eyes. You have to do a lot of translation. Mm. And you understand they actually are being a good friend, but it just doesn't look like the ones you see on the cartoons. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Or the ones that your friends talk about. Mm. That's like a big can of worms over there. But, yeah, I feel like there are many listeners who have had families that have been here for four or five generations, and there are others who have been here for, like, one generation. Mm. Oh, yeah. And they're oh, wondering why is it so... Yeah, exactly. That. They're wondering why it's so difficult. Yeah. But, yeah, without making this an hour-long episode... I know, I can already feel... Oh, yeah, my God, we could two. go for an hour. <laughs> is there something you would like to share? A fun memory or a specific moment with a specific sibling where you're like, wow, they were such a good friend to me. Hmm. I got to say, like, some of the highlights of my life are, you know, our family the last few years, every winter we we go to Japan. And, you know, these trips are, this new world temporarily opens up Mm. where we've all decided to rest together. And the level of silliness is (laughs) at another level. I'm telling you, it feels like a drug. It's... (laughs) Oh my God! Just so playful and That's silly, so and at some point we all, we, we we go okay. I'm ready. I'm ready to <laughs> calm down. But you know, when I th- I think about those winter trips, I think about like, wow, this is the level of comfort and just mm. knowing. And I don't know if that's a specific memory. No, yeah, I didn't forget, but I didn't realize how silly we are during those times. <laughs> and y'all, it's to the point where I would not, I hope my friends are not in the room. Like, <laughs> I know. You would see something crazy. <laughs> but it's just us being like little goofballs. So but I'm sure y'all have those too. Yeah, family trips thing. Kendra talked with Josh about how they went on road trips and those being the moments where they bonded the most. Mm, oh, that's great. Yeah. Mm, interesting. So in our family too, I reflect on how many times we've bonded during travels yeah. is there anything else you'd like to share okay i know what i want to share <laughs> yes i no think worries. um here's a good one this is just a good quote by the way when i was on this topic i would read so much about it and one great entrance point was brainpickings.org and there's an article on friendship 
brainpickings.org. Yeah, and Maria Popova, Popova, I think that's her name. Mm-hmm. She's, she's good at this kind of stuff. And she said, she cites Francis Bacon, a f- principal fruit of friendship is the ease and discharge of the fullness and swellings of the heart, which passions of all kinds do cause and induce. So, mm. for me, that's been one of the greatest pleasures of friendship. There's a storm inside of you, both happy and sad. Mm. And, oh man, loneliness is the hardest thing. The feelings don't move. They don't discharge. They don't amplify. They do amplify in the wrong ways. Mm. I think when you start finding these friends, it depends on your age. Mm-hmm. Some people find friends in high school. For me, I didn't find them until late college. Mm-hmm. But you know what everyone else is talking about or what our culture is talking about. It's You've talked, you've communed, mm. and there's just this sense of like just well-being because all these things inside of you have had a chance to discharge mm. properly. And so... Oh, I love that. Can you read that one more time? Okay. Uh, a principal fruit of friendship is the ease and discharge of the fullness and swellings of the heart, which passions of all kinds do cause and induce. Mm. I don't think everyone has felt that. Mm. And then my point, or what I'd like to take one minute to talk about, because this is what I'm interested in investigating, is at some point you have to take a view of how are things going in our society. And one thing that I found is I have to work so hard to find good friends. At some point while I was at school, I realized, okay, there's a macro culture that's not necessarily supportive of it. I'm sure you guys have discussed mm. it at length. It's different from there's just not people. I think there's people all around. But the culture and the sense of awareness of what this is is lacking. And so you're f- so frustrated in so many encounters, which I know is part of your project. Maybe to catch it in 10 seconds, I would say there's a guy named Elaine Debuton, more like a pop writer, but really good. He's released five or six books, and I think almost all of them are united by this project of one constant theme, anti-romantic. Mm. Like, he locates us in 2020 as part of this like 40, 50-year-old trend that aligns with... Oh, I hate to use... What does consumer capitalism even mean? <laughs> but just this promise of like some utopian life, that to be human is to be ecstatic. To be human is to be joyful Mm. versus, you know, what faith traditions have told us, like to be human is to suffer immensely Mm. and be happy, but to suffer immensely Mm. and be joyful. And just this deep recognition of these both are human life. An excessively romantic culture, you can't talk. Mm. Like as soon as you show that side of life, People are like, I don't want to be around you. Yeah, and under that other paradigm, it means you're doing something wrong. Mm, And so I think if this discharge of feelings, I feel like you got to be within that paradigm. Because when I meet with friends now, it's our favorite thing is just to say, man, I'm so depressed sometimes. Or, man, I just wasted 15 hours doing something so stupid. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. Thanks for sharing. I feel like this could be, no, this could be its own episode. I'm very tempted to make another episode. (laughs) Just on the macro culture that is unfriendly to making friendships. Yeah. Family, lovers, and friendship. These are three things that all, all some mode 
a friendship. And I think a useful way of navigating all of those is there's freedom and there's welfare. And depending on each domain, it'll kind of edge closer to one or the other. Like family, there's something suffocating about it. Mm. But there's something so redeeming and mm. it's always there. And there's a price to be had for that. But then there's a ridiculous amount of joy and deep bottom level peace. If you think family is causing you to sacrifice your freedom, wait till you have a wife or a husband or a lover. Like, there's even more demands. But then if you thought you felt known and free with your family, wait till you're in that one-on-one conversation. Mm. All barriers are broken, right? Mm. So that has its own unique pain that family doesn't. <laughs> and mm. then friendship is here on the other side where there's so much freedom. And I really like this quote that I'll end with, which says, Love affairs need immense energy. They demand a total commitment and a capacity for pain. Friendship, in contrast, merely needs tending. Although it is alive, a living, breathing thing, and can suffer from neglect, friendship can be left for a while without terrible consequences because it is built on the accumulation of past experiences, not the fickle and vulnerable promise of future ones. It has a sturdiness that love may often lack and an undemonstrative beauty that love would walk heedlessly past. And I think... There's a lot there, but one thing I would say, it's interesting to see how people pursue friendship that lack families. Mm. Or it's interesting how people approach families that lack friends. Meaning, when you lack friends, you don't know what that kind of freedom feels like. Mm. And so you approach family a little bit too intensely. Mm. Like you can't accept the cost of family. Because you just don't have a place to be free. Mm. Versus if you don't have family... In, and you only have friends, you can't accept the cost of friendship Mm -hmm. of that kind, which is that there's a bottom level of volatility to it. Mm. That there's, it comes and goes, and it doesn't have the deep, deep satisfaction. Mm. So you have people that are good with one or usually not all three, Mm -hmm. and they're trying to talk to each other, and it's a fascinating conversation. (laughs) But I'm so thankful for, like, I don't think I should say their names, but, like, these specific people Mm who we've diligently and, you know, lovingly always engaged and talked and to get to even this sort of awareness of where we are. And Mm -hmm. hopefully that translates to fruit. So when we're 40 or 50, Mm. you know, there's this deep joy, Mm -hmm. a deep okayness with life as it is. And we take care of other people because of that. Versus, get off my lawn. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. Who right. was that quote by? Oh, this last one? Yeah. Oh, okay. This is Andrew Sullivan. Andrew Sullivan. He has a book called Love Undetectable. Love Undetectable. Why Friendship is a Greater Gift Than Romantic Love. Wow. That's Y'all, great. did you know someone wrote a book like that? <laughs> hey, it's one of the, I've read so many books on it. Uh-huh. He is so poetic. Andrew Sullivan. Oh, yeah. we tip our hat to you. I'm going to go read your book now. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Andrew Sullivan. All right. I mean, your friendship tip was like literally everything you shared, but is there a specific explicit one you would like to give? Hmm. I would say not about how to do it while you're there. One, be vulnerable and mm-hmm. expressive. and But two, more like, I think a lot of people are in the process of finding friends. Yeah. Man, you got to keep trying. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> brutal. Because you have to share yourself. And one of the most emotionally tiring things is when someone can't affirm that because Mm. that's not their life experience and Mm. that's okay or if they're not 
more mature, they'll actually push it away mm-hmm. or define it as something else. And that's like, that's more than just sad. Mm-hmm. It's like, it feels aggressive and it's very unpleasant. But God, I keep trying. You can't get depressed. Mm. And I fight that all the time too. Mm-hmm. Like when I talk to new people and meet them, I have to let myself tell a story like, and have hope and faith. And that puts you in a mode where you share mm-hmm. versus you, you clamp down and you stop going out and, and meeting new people. But hey, you, we got to be diligent and work for it. It would be rewarding when it happens. You will cry when it happens, I think. Mm. And I'm just talking to people that you know, might not feel like there's enough. Um, but keep trying. Keep looking for it. It used to be easier. But yeah. no matter what, we have no choice. We have to keep trying. Oh, thank you yeah. so much, Tim. That was <laughs> actually beautiful. Gorgeous. And I have no more siblings. So that is the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening, friends. We really appreciate it. If you haven't already definitely check out Kindred's episode with her brother Josh. It's fab. I learned so much from them. Also, what did you think about this sibling episode? We had a lot of fun making it and we would love to hear back from y'all. Comment, DM us, or possibly leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I don't know. (laughs) Our next episode is coming out September 24th, Thursday. Thursdays are always our new release day. If you aren't getting these updates, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You will get all the good stuff there. Until then, bye friends.